Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Well, it's Friday, and you ain't got no job, and you ain't got nothing to do. Hi, everyone. It is uh, the 16th of April, 2021. My name is Luke Thomas, and it is time for Morning Combat. Hi there. I'm from CBS Sports and Showtime. And the gentleman on the other side of the screen is a, uh, well, it's a much thinner Brian Campbell. And also not really Brian Campbell at all. He is from Canada. He's from TSN. He's my friend and yours. He is guest hosting with me today. It is the one and only Aaron Bronstetter. Hi, Aaron. How are you? I'm good, Luke. Now, I may not have the blue humor or the 90s music references in my back pocket, but I do have Lithuanian roots and Canadian roots, so I will be bringing a little bit of BC to the table. Okay, just please don't kiss your father, which he thinks is a normal thing to do. Uh, if you can skip that, you're great. You'll be fine. No, in all seriousness, glad to have you. Um, a lot to get to today. We have UFC talk, Askren and Jake Paul talk. A little bit of boxing we'll throw in there, and then some Bellator, obviously, as well. So, should be a good time. Uh, how are you keeping up with the pandemic these days? We have never had you host the show, so tell folks, like, you don't have to tell me where you live, live, but, you know, what, what, what your neck of the woods is like. Well, I'm doing well. It's a bit of a dumpster fire here in terms of the COVID numbers. Uh, on, in Ontario, we had like 4,700 new cases yesterday. It's the worst we've actually had since the start of the pandemic. So we're, we're moving along. We've got a stay-at-home order, and here I am, staying at home and joining uh, Morning Combat, which is great. I love this show. I listen to it all the time, and it's, uh, it's an honor you'd think of me. So, uh, you know, up here in Canada, the weather's getting a little bit nicer. Things are turning the corner in that regard, so, you know, can't complain uh, about that. My kids are out. It's, it's spring break for them. They're having some fun outside playing Pokemon Go with my wife. Uh, she's she's gotten addicted to it, which is uh, interesting in in uh, its own right. But uh, yeah, things are things are things are getting better. You know, the, the vaccines are rolling out slowly, not as not as fast as you guys uh, to the south, but we're we're moving along. Do you think you'll travel for shows in this year? I was saying to your crew before the show, I'm thinking November or December is like probably the earliest realistic uh, guess if I had to make one that that we're going to be able to travel uh, safely. So. Hopefully this year, I wouldn't bet on it, but uh, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed because I miss being on the road dearly. I love speaking to these great athletes in person and, uh, and covering the events in person. I miss it a lot, uh, so hopefully we can turn the corner soon and, uh, and get, things, get the show back on the road. Yeah, well, BC and I are halfway towards our vaccination goal. I get my next one on Tuesday. I'm not sure about him, but pretty soon here. So it's, there's a light at the end of this tunnel, Mr. Aaron Bronstetter. Um, all right. Housekeeping notes, give the video a thumbs up, hit the subscribe button. Uh, why don't you give a follow to Aaron and me on social media? We can put up the lower third here. I'll take a look at it. There it is. You can see uh, we have different names because we're both we didn't plan our names very well uh, for social media. So you can see it there. Uh, give Aaron a follow on Twitter or Instagram. It's a great follow. He has a lot of good interviews. He does his own podcast. Uh, does great, good reporting, good analysis, and the whole nine yards, which is why, of course, we have him on the show today. Um, so if you haven't done it already, give them a follow. And of course, everything Morning Combat is there as well. If you want to try Showtime for 30 days, you can do that for free. If you do like it, you can keep it. If not, you can just go cancel and go fuck off. If you want to take the plunge and actually order it, there's your URL right there. Show.com slash Bellator MMA. If you, do, if you go to that URL and you sign up now, your first six months of the entirety of the Showtime experience. So Bellator, boxing, and everything else in the Showtime library, live TV, blah, 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 would be just five bucks a month for the first six months. 
You can check that out. Uh, we got some merch. We got to get Aaron Bronson. Rashad Evans had no merch, and I'm pretty sure Aaron Bronson has no merch. Although there's no way you could have merch because we don't ship to Canada yeah, yet. Yeah, I, I tried to order, couldn't get any. <laughs> yeah, we got to fix that. But for the, for those of you in the vaccinated lower 48, uh, you can go to store.show.com and you can get some. Uh, you can get. Let's see. You can get glasses like this. You can get mugs. You can get hats, shirts, the whole nine yards, and. Uh, Aaron, aside from just following you on social media, like, is there a hub, a destination where most of your work lives? Yeah, it's tsn.ca slash UFC for all of the UFC content that uh, TSN puts out. So you can check that out. And in the spirit of being a company guy, if you want to watch the great Showtime programming in Canada, you can subscribe to Crave TV, a fantastic service uh, that, that allows you to watch all of Showtime's wonderful original programming here in Canada. So that's how you watch it there, right? You have to, is, that, is, that a, is that like a streaming service? Yeah, it's an OTT service uh, that the wonderful folks uh, at Bell Media put out. We, we put out all of the great uh, Showtime shows. You can get it all in one place on Crave TV. That's, that's amazing. So the same place in Canada that hosts, essentially, that will... Oh, no, no, you work... D does Bell own TSN? Bell owns TSN. Bell owns Crave TV. And, uh, so they put yeah, out UFC... They, they show UFC content and Bellator content? We don't have Bellator here yet. Bellator in Canada is on, uh, on YouTube right now. I think they're looking for a new home for I Bellator see. in Canada. But uh, yeah, so if you want to watch it in Canada, it's on YouTube uh, tomorrow. Or tonight, oh, rather. Tonight, yes, exactly. Okay, we will get to that a little bit later. Let's start off our first topic, if we can, here, Aaron, as we kick off the show. UFC Fight Night is tomorrow. UFC Whitaker versus Gaslam. I don't even know which Vegas it is anymore. UFC Vegas 30 or <laughs> something like that. I think it's 25. The 25. Okay. Yeah, you're good for stuff like that. You tend to keep uh, track of those details. Let's assume for the sake of argument that it is, in fact, UFC Fight Night 20 or UFC Vegas 25. Let's start with this main event. You know, it's really kind of interesting. For me, obviously, I have to spend a ton of attention thinking about Bellator working here at Showtime. The fights are tonight. Vadim Nemkov is putting his title on the line. I'm thinking a lot about that. Of course, you have Askren and Paul. Maybe, you know, you can say what you want about it, and we will a little bit later. Probably the biggest fight of the weekend in terms of just mass fan appeal. And quietly, you have Robert Whitaker taking on <laughs> Kelvin Gastelum. Is it just a showcase of they're kind of coming in at a moment where there's just so many other things happening in the combat sports space that people are overlooking two guys who just don't have a lot of angry things to say to each other, Aaron? Yeah, it's funny. This headline, the pay-per-view two years ago, uh, unfortunately right. didn't happen. A medical emergency for, for Although, Robert Whitaker. Day it was a title on the line during that one. Well, supposed yeah, to be fair enough. Way. But they're still the same fighters. They're still high, high-level middleweights. And I think the winner of this fight is going to stake claim to the, the next championship bout. I love this fight. And the reason why is because if you look at Gastelum, he's kind of getting to take a bit of a shortcut. He said he had a 12-month plan to get back in the title contention. Instead, right place, right time, right circumstance. And now he's right back in the title picture after that win over Ian Heinish. Now, if you look at what has happened to Gastelum since the Israel fight, he had that close fight with Darren Till where he was a little bit gun-shy and ended up losing a decision there. Very, very close fight. Then you've got the fight with Jack Hermanson where he got caught. Let's face it, it wasn't a great stylistic matchup for him. He got caught, tapped out first round, very unlike Kelvin Gastelum. But then he comes back to form against Heinish. Now against Whitaker, I still think it's a very similar matchup to the, when the, you know, the first time they were matched up. I, I don't think that Kelvin Gastelum has regressed as a fighter. This guy's still in his 20s. We've got to remember that. This is still a young man who's entering his prime. Whitaker, too. Whitaker's, what, 31, 32? So these guys are still fairly young or, or at least close to being in their prime in their career, right? So I think we're going to get a, an even better version of these two guys this weekend than what we would have seen on that pay-per-view event, which is really nice to see. I think Robert Whitaker's really adapted uh, his technique and the way that he approaches fights. He's, he's been a lot more tactical 
recently. I think he, he changed a lot of things going on in his personal life in order to be happy. And he's been saying a happy Robert Whitaker is a dangerous Robert Whitaker. Uh, but I really want to see what Gastelum can do here because are we going to get the same Kelvin Gastelum that was in title contention? Because if we do, I, I love this fight. I think it's going to be phenomenal. And I think it's a really interesting matchup. Yeah, I like your point about the age of Kelvin Gastelum. I also think, and I wonder where you're coming down on this uh, theory, uh, Rashad has said it, I think I've said it maybe in the past, I don't know how much I still believe it, but there's probably something a little bit to it that, at least by perception's sake, Gastelum is a guy who can either fight up or down to opposition. Like, he looked good against Heinish uh, in winning. He looked really good against Adesanya in losing. He made it very, very close. Uh, obviously, he didn't get his hand raised the one he did in the other, but to what extent do you make of that theory do you like do you not like the idea do you accept the idea that he's a little bit inconsistent in how good he is fight over fight more than he is just playing to his competition well i think that changed after the israel fight because in order to get to the israel fight he had to do uh, a lot of things that got him to the dance i mean look at the knockout over bisping uh, you know on that really short notice assignment for bisping uh gaslam gets it done and gaslam was really a killer at that point in time now whether or not some of that spirit was taken away by Israel from having that kind of a five-round war, one of the, uh, I think, one of the greatest fights, maybe the greatest fight in UFC history, really. I mean, that, that fight, it was remarkable. But that can take a lot out of a fighter. Now, it looked like it, it kind of elevated Israel because he ended up winning that fight. But I think that with Gastelum, he needs to go back to those roots that he had that got him to the dance in the first place if he wants to win this fight. And I think that from a, a tactical standpoint and, and an X's and O's point of view, this is a really close fight. You look at the odds, I don't think that they're truly indicative of how live of an underdog Kelvin Gastelum is here. You're looking at a lot of recency bias here because we, we've seen what Whitaker has done since the fight against Israel. He's bounced back and he's looked like a different fighter and he's looked like a better fighter. But I think that we, we can't discount Kelvin Gastelum at this stage based on what we saw from him in the Till fight and the Hermanson fight. I think you, like you almost need to throw those out the windows because this is, a, this is just a completely different fight. For me, I, 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 the one thing I've, like, I've thought about that both guys carry the advantage, which is why I'm hopeful about how good it will be, is that to your point, this used to be a fight that was going to headline a pay-per-view. These guys, and the fight was canceled like just hours before it was mm -hmm. set to go forward. These guys had an entire camp already getting ready for the other guy. Now, both are probably a little bit different since that time, but not in you know, hugely dramatic ways. So they carry with them a little bit of that uh, preparation, which I really like. The thing about me that gives me pause for Kelvin Gastelum is I if someone asked me, do I think this fight is winnable for Kelvin Gastelum? The answer is 1,000% yes. It is absolutely winnable. But like he's had a series of fights where he has had, you know, against your Tills and against your Adesanya's. He plays it close. You know, he did drop Chris Weidman in the first round when they fought, but then he got kind of down the stretch. He just couldn't maintain... The level of success needed uh, to win. And so he can beat the guys. Ian Heinrich is a good fighter, but he can beat sort of like top 10, top 15, or I should say uh, 6 to 15, like in that area. Kelvin Gastelum is very competitive. 5 to 1, he pushes those guys. I don't know that I've seen clear evidence he can overcome that hurdle, but if you do it against Robert Whitaker, that narrative dies immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why he's lucky to be able to get this fight with Paulo Costa pulling out. I think this is a, a real story of redemption on the line right now for Calvin Gaslam because he answers a lot of questions if he gets this win. He, he suddenly becomes, I think, the number one contender because I think that, you know, nobody's going to say no to a rematch between Israel and Calvin Gaslam based on what we saw the first time around. But I, I think I agree with you. I think that 
he needs to show that he can fight up to his competition. He needs to show that he can he can beat the upper echelon guys in the division. Because who are the wins over that got him there? I mean, I think the Bisping win is the is the one that's, that's the most apparent. But he was running through guys back then when he moved to middleweight, and he he looked like a killer. And I thought he was the best guy in the division at the time when he was going to face Israel. I, I said I think Kelvin Gastelum is is the guy to beat right now, and uh, he you know he showed that that wasn't necessarily the case. But I do think he still has it in him to bring the fight to Robert Whitaker. And I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of grappling in this fight. I think we're going to see five solid rounds of back and forth. Now, can Kelvin Gastelum, if this fight's even going into the fifth round, do what he was unable to do against Israel the last time they fought? I mean, the only time they fought, really. But be able to really put his foot on the gas and, and, and you know, show that kind of willpower and determination to get that fifth round and get over the hump. Because I think that that's what's been missing in his career, is when his back's against the wall, is he able to, to get to that next level? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I think Whitaker's probably going to put him there on some level um, throughout the course of it. Although, you know, Gastelum's going to get his licks in um, just the same. One interesting point someone brought up to me yesterday, I hadn't even thought about it, which is let's imagine a world where Gastelum wins. It's legit, but let's say not authoritative. Like it was very tight, which you could imagine, you know, given the skill set of Robert Whitaker. But let's say Gastelum gets his hand raised under that circumstance. UFC would have an interesting choice there because if Whitaker wins, I don't know how you don't give him the title shot at that point, right? But if Gastelum wins, you'll have Gastelum and Vittori as your more or less sort of guys who have now pushed themselves to the front of the pack a little bit. They're teammates. Do um, you think UFC might make them do a playoff <laughs> and the winner of that gets Israel? I mean, I, I don't think so. I think that you, I think you have to give it to Gastelum, honestly. I think that if Gastelum gets the win he gets the next shot. You know, the thing about it is Israel's beaten both those guys. And if you were to ask me who has the best chance of beating Israel, I think it's Marvin Vittori. I think Marvin Vittori has stepped his game up. I thought that their first fight was really, really close. But I do think that that win over Kevin Holland is not much different than what we saw Brunson do to Kevin Holland. So I, I think that Vittori really needed to, to put an exclamation point on the Kevin Holland fight because Kevin Holland at the time, I don't think he was ranked. And if he was, he was at the very bottom of the top 15 of the middleweight division. Whereas... If you get Gaslam beating the number one contender, I think you have to give him the shot, I, even mm. regardless of how he wins this fight. Now, I don't think that Israel wants to wait for playoff. I mean, Israel has, you know, he likes to stay busy. He likes to stay active. I think he wants to, to get that stink off of his name from that Jan Bojovic fight and, rem, and remind everybody why he's one of the best fighters in the world. So I don't think that we're going to have time for a, for a playoff between Vittori and Gastelum. Uh, maybe you have Rafael Cordero do a, an impromptu sparring session, you stream it live, you get the, the fans at home to judge it, and they determine who gets the next title shot. But, you know, that's fantasy land type. That's BT, BC type stuff. That's the, that's, my, that's the inner BC in me coming out to make such a suggestion. But I think that we're going uh, to see the winner of this fight this weekend get the next title shot. Uh, should be interesting. Can't wait to see it. In your co-main uh, featherweight contest, I believe Jeremy Stevens taking on Jakar Close. Two guys who are absolute dogs, two guys who are aggressive, two guys who are, you know, if you had to describe people who have, like, mean fighting styles, Jeremy Stevens has a mean style. Jaguar close, too, I would actually argue, to an extent. Um, but neither really all that close to anything super meaningful in that division. So I like the fight. I think it'll be fun. I think it's a good matchup. The, the matchmakers found an interesting pairing between the two but doesn't carry a whole lot of significance other than for the individual's careers, right? Yeah, it's certainly interesting because Jeremy Stevens moving back to 155. Oh, this is a lightweight? Look, this, is not, this is not featherweight belt? 
No, this is a lightweight belt. Yeah, Jeremy's moving back up to 155. I think he's going to stay at 155 for the remainder of his career. He's talked about it in interviews about how the cut to 145 was difficult on him. But, you know, the funny <laughs> thing... Can, about- uh, hold on. You can see how I'm quite behind in Jeremy Stevens interviews. <laughs> Yeah, you need, to, you need to brush up on your Jeremy Stevens uh, knowledge. You know, I was supposed to interview him this week. It kind of fell through. But I was watching a lot of his previous interviews, and, uh, and he was talking a, a little bit about how he wanted to stay at 155 now. Got it. And, you know, that's where he started his UFC career. There was no featherweight division when he started his career. What's remarkable is he's only, like, two or three months older than Francis Ngannou. And you look at the, uh, how long he's been in the UFC for, it's kind of strange. He's only 34 years old. I mean, I think he's got, what, the second most UFC fights in history after this weekend behind uh, uh, Jim Miller. Jim Miller, so, yeah. Yeah, so I think this is an interesting one for him because you look at his last five fights. He's winless in his last five, five, five fights, but he was facing the murderer's row of the murderer's row division of featherweight. He's got Zabit. He's got, uh, you know, Jose Aldo. He's got the two fights against Yair Rodriguez, Calvin Cater. I mean, th- these are the, the absolute killers of killers, and this is the perfect fight for him right now because Dracar Close is a really good fighter at 155. He's not ranked, though, and I think that... Uh, to be ranked at 155 is very, very meaningful. That's, I, I think, the division that has the most depth in the sport right now. But right now, this is kind of a litmus test fight for Jeremy Stevens. He's a small favorite against Close. I think that makes a lot of sense. But you look at it on paper, and it's like, well, this guy hasn't won in, what, two, three years. So I think that he needs to get that win. He needs to show that he's still there. This, like you said, is going to be something of a dogfight. These are two guys that don't back down. And I think it's going to come down to who does back down first in this one. Kind of wild that Close is not... I mean, this is how insane lightweight is and we can have a debate what's better bantamweight lightweight fine you know I, 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 plenty, plenty of fun to be had there but just think about this for a second this dude Drakkar Close has wins over Mark Giacchese Lando Venata and Bobby Green and he's unranked yeah <laughs> like, right that is that is such a and I, which I understand but I'm just saying that is such a hard division in which to excel and even though he lost the Benil Dariush fight. He had Dariush on skates for a little bit of that when that, that back and forth that happened there um, as well. So it just tells you how hard it is to win at 155 pounds. Yeah, it's it's such a hard division to crack into. I, I almost feel like if you're at 155 pounds, your best bet is to move up to 170 and, and try to make your name there because there's just so much depth in that division and you need to get a marquee opponent in order to get ranked. You're not going to be able to get ranked. Like Shemaev, how he got ranked at 170 pounds just based on performance. I feel like at 155 pounds, you need to beat the best of the best guys. I think that might be the biggest hindrance to Islam Makhachev moving up is that you're going to have a lot of trouble finding people that want to fight this guy, hmm. but, you know, that are ranked above him. And that happens from time to time, even looking at Usman next week. I mean, it took Usman forever to crack that top 10 because he couldn't find top 10 guys to face him. Uh, I think that can be the same kind of issue at 155 because people have to be kind of protective of their ranking because it's so hard to get into that top 15 that you don't want to slip out of it. It's crazy. I can't wait to see that one as well. Uh, anything else from that card tickle your fancy? Well, you know, coming from Canada, I do need to put some shine on Lupita Godinez. She's the strawweight champion of LFA, based in Vancouver. Uh, Her family moved from Mexico to uh, the west coast of Canada about 11 years ago. And uh, she's making her debut against Jessica Penne, who's been out of action for four years after that suspension. But I I think that Godinez uh, can make a real statement here and put herself on the map at strawweight. I know that, uh, you know, Penne, we're going to have to see what she still has left. But uh, I, I need to give some props to Lupi because, uh, you know, as a Canadian and someone who's seen her fight live uh, back when she was, uh, you know, fighting on the regional scene at BTC, I think that she's a, a real player in this division. And I think that uh, she's going to put herself on the map here, short notice assignment against Jessica Penne. Is there, is there good Mexican food in Canada? There's, Scarborough, the city that I live in here in Canada, is the most diverse food city in the world. 
So we've mm. got everything here, Luke. We have everything. We've got some great El Salvadoran food uh, nearby, great Mexican food. We got it. We got it all here in Scarborough. All right, I'm going to have to check that out next time I'm in the Great White North. My daughter had a pupusa for breakfast this morning. Pupusas are the best. They're amazing. If you've never had them, it's kind of like, it's, what would you call it? It's, it's not going to rape but not really. It's almost like a cheese and meat pancake, something like that. Yeah, it's El Salvadoran, actually. So it's, uh, yeah. I get pupusas all the time from El Pulgarcito here in, uh, in Scarborough. It's basically like a fried, kind of thick uh, white bread with beans and, uh, and cheese baked into it. Uh, uh, yeah, great. it's hard to beat a good pupusa. Have you had good? Have you? Uh, I know you've traveled obviously to California with work. Have you ever like done the L.A. taco thing? I have. It's awesome. It's, you know what? It's I another. It's another Honda universe Center. of good. Yeah. Sorry, not the Honda Center. The uh, what's the one in uh, in um, in L.A. The uh, the main arena Staples? there. I don't know why I'm playing. Staples Center. Yeah. When I stayed near Staples, there were some great like Mexican restaurants, like hole in the wall Mexican restaurants near there. Uh, yeah, that, that's a great experience. If you, if you get a chance to, to try a lot of the authentic Mexican food in California, it's just top-notch. All right, so that takes us from UFC now to Bellator, which is tonight on Showtime. Bellator 257. Last week, the light heavyweight World Grand Prix kicked off on the left side of the bracket, if you're looking at it, when Ryan Bader took on and ultimately defeated uh, Leota Machida. That same side of the bracket will continue as Corey Anderson takes on Dovlitz John Yagshamurdov. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the right side of the bracket, which you, if you ask me, that's the glamour d- division. That's the group of death. Vadim Nemkov, your champion, taking on Phil Davis. And then on May 7th, the winner of, the, of tonight's fight will take on the winner of Rumble versus Romero. It's just no easy fight there. It doesn't matter what the permutation is. But we start with the one that is happening for the light heavyweight title. It is a rematch from three years ago when current champion Vadim Nemkov takes on Phil Davis. Uh, all right, Mr. Bronson, I'll go to you first on this one. BC and I have talked a lot about this, about Nemkov in general, about Phil Davis. We did the whole special. What is your level of intrigue in this rematch what intrigues me the most about this tournament is i feel like this is a tournament where you could see the belt come off at any time you know the belt's on the line as the tournament wears on and that's what intrigues me the most about this tournament like i would not be surprised if we've got a new champion tonight and we haven't seen that yet at the tournament level in Bellator. I love the fact that all of these are five-round fights, that the title's on the line when the champion competes. I think it, it adds a little bit of, uh, of glamour to this tournament. And uh, I think this is an awesome fight. You know, I, I think that Phil Davis can beat anybody on any, any given night. He's so good. He was a guy that I thought was going to one day challenge John Jones in the UFC. That fight never ended up happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know your colleague Rashad uh, fought uh, Phil Davis. One of my favorite trash, trash talk moments was when they were, I think they were doing a press conference and Rashad Evans was saying to Phil Davis that he had junk technique. He goes, your technique's junk. You've got junk technique. I don't know why, but I think that got in Phil Davis' head. Like, when you, when you take a wrestler and you, and you have another wrestler and you critique that man's technique, that's, that, you know, that, that can cut deep. And I feel like that's how Rashad got the mental edge over Phil Davis, telling him he had junk technique. But I, I, I think that in this particular fight... Phil Davis is a guy that does not lose easily. He's a very, very difficult out. He does not get stopped inside the distance. I don't know if he's ever been stopped inside the distance. And if it has, if it has happened, no. it's a, a rarity. Uh, yeah, yeah, Phil Davis is just... He's, he's a guy who's got one of the most athletic builds that we've ever seen in the sport. He's got fantastic uh, wrestling pedigree. And I think that when you, when you mix those things together and you mix his versatility, his durability, while his fights don't always make for the most exciting affairs, he's a guy that can win on any given night. And it would not surprise me if we have a new champion tonight. I sat next to Linton Vassell's family when he fought. I forget who he was fighting. It was like one of the uh, Dynamite shows, so I forget who he was fighting. Uh, maybe it was Phil. 
at a bare minimum, Phil was on the card. And I remember I sat next to the, his family, Litton Vassal. He has two sisters. Um, and Phil Davis weighed in. And their jaws are on the floor. On the floor, I was like, yeah. uh, "Ladies, some professionalism here. Get it together." But uh, you're right; he's looked like a you know like a bodybuilder from day one. Here's the thing about this fight that I find very in- well. Actually, let me let me before I tell you what I think on Vadim Nemkov. Where are you on like how good he is? It's weird. He's one of those champions where I feel like we need to see more almost, but. I was always on the Vadim Nemkov train early on in his Bellator career. I said, this guy is, is a tough, tough fighter and a really dynamic fighter. I didn't know if he was going to become champion, but when he was fighting these top guys and he was an underdog, I kept saying to people, like, you, you got to look at, at Vadim Nemkov. Like, this, you might not have heard of this guy, but this is a guy you need to watch out for. Now, the, the talk has always been that Bellator has the better light heavyweight division than the UFC. I don't know about that. I think that we still have yet to see, and I think that Jan Blachowicz was kind of the reason why people made those comments, and we now see how good Jan Blachowicz has become. But I do believe that Vadim Nemkov is going to be a really, really difficult out for anybody in this tournament. The, really, you know, the reason why I say that we could have a new champion in this tournament is because at the higher weight classes, the belt just switches, unless you have a John Jones in there, the belt tends to switch suitors uh, or switch owners, rather, more often because there's a higher finishing rate. Anything can happen at heavyweight and at light heavyweight. And, of course, you know, we haven't seen a title switch hands in these tournaments. The, the heavyweight title, there was a vacant championship, so there was no champion going into that uh, particular tournament, if I recall. And then, of course, you've got Pitbull, who's lording over the 145-pound division, and now he's in the final. And when you have the final, I don't necessarily consider that to be a belt-losing uh, being lost during a tournament because it's the finale. I think that that's where you have the two best guys and now you've got a title fight. But I- I'm talking about in the early rounds, the preliminary rounds of the tournament, I think that there's a, a bigger likelihood in a-, a tournament in the higher weight classes that you're going to see a tournament, uh, sorry, a title switch hands. And that's why with Nemkov, while I think he's very, very good, I think there's a lot of very, very good fighters in this tournament that can win on any given night. You know, it's funny you mentioned something and I brought this up with Rashad on Wednesday's show, which was... You know, Phil Davis has had a, you know some losses along the way. A lot of them have been very tight, barely losing to Nemkov, barely losing to Bader when they fought in New York City. Uh, and the point I made to Rashad was, you don't really see a lot of examples of highlight reels uh, for some opponent with Phil Davis in it somewhere getting bodied. You just don't see it. Like people don't. He he loses fights. That's true. But no one lands a huge shot on him. Or Nemkov had one decent body lock takedown on him. But you don't see him getting thrown around or you know having his back taken in some kind of dramatic way. He's a guy that is just very hard to do things to. But I would actually argue for that reason, Aaron. I'm a little bit. I'm very curious about what happens tonight. But I guess my point is this. The same reason, because of his carefulness and his thoughtfulness, because he is a smart fighter and he is an athletic fighter and he manages risk really well, but maybe too well, Aaron. I guess my point is the reason why you don't see him on highlight reels is also why he might be coming up a little bit short in these very, very narrow fights. He didn't lose to Nemkov badly the first time. It was quite minimal. Same with Bader. It was quite minimal. He lacks a little bit, at least historically, in these big fights of stepping on the gas. He likes to get by by winning the rounds. I don't know if Nemkov's the guy to do that to. I really feel like you got to put it on him a little bit if you want to get by. 
Yeah, but D Davis is so dangerous the whole time, and he's he's just such a good tactician. You know, Davis has like one great highlight in his entire career is that 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 anaconda win over Gustafson. But outside <laughs> of that, I can't think of a ton of real standout moments in Phil Davis's career. Like this is one of those ones where you're about to go to the park and play chess with somebody. Like that's the mentality you need to bring to a Phil Davis uh, fight. You're, you're in this for the long haul, and you can't make any little mistakes. You need to be on your game. That that's what happens when you face Phil Davis, and I think that that's probably the approach that Nemkov has. I don't think Nemkov's going to come out there looking to take his head off because if you you give a little opening to phil davis we've seen how good this guy can be at, at exploiting those little openings this isn't the guy that you can get careless against and that's why phil davis's fights are so tactical and there may not be that many highlights involved but it's because of how dangerous he is and because of how talented he is and that's why i think this fight goes all five rounds and i think it's gonna be a very close fight and again that's why i think that this title can change hands tonight unless you see nemkov do to phil davis what we haven't been able to see other people do to davis and i'm not convinced that that can happen uh based on davis's track record i think that we're gonna see a very close fight tonight hmm. should be very interesting now on the other side of the bracket this is a, a really weird one that a lot of folks don't really know what to do with, including me to an extent. Corey Anderson made a Bellator debut against Melvin Manoff. He looked great, but let's be honest, Melvin Manoff is in his what early to mid-40s. If Corey looked anything other than dominant, I would have been worried. So whatever, that that's that. But I do think at 30 years, people forget Corey Anderson's only 30 years old. Feels like he's been around forever. And we, Brian and I had a discussion on the show once, Aaron. We're talking about the early, early version of Marvin Vittori. But he made his UFC debut when he was 23. Well, by the time he's 27, 28, yeah, he looks a lot better. Corey Anderson, okay, this the rematch with uh, Blahovich didn't go well. But in general, I really feel like the true story is this guy has come a long way. He has really worked out a lot of the kinks in his game. The thing about Yaksha Muradov is no doubt he's going to be undersized. That's really not up for debate. He's just not got a great 205-pound frame because even if he beats Corey Anderson tonight, uh, Aaron, he has to fight Ryan Bader right after that. So good luck with that. But I will say, if you look at the tape on Yaksha Muradov, he, he's good. He's very good. He's strong for the weight class. He can do it all. Looks a little bit pot-bellied and has no expectations about him. People can barely pronounce his name. But he is, is he the dark horse or is Corey Anderson the dark horse? Which one is it? Well, while Polish people will say Yagshamash. Dolvajan Yakshimuradov says Yakshishmash. This guy can smash. He's from tech, uh, Turkmenistan. We've seen what he can do in ACA. And this guy is able to just put it on people. I think he's got to be the dark horse because people haven't heard of him. And one thing we have to remember, if you look at the opening line for this fight, Yakshimuradov was the favorite. Now it's moved to Corey Anderson being around a minus 170 favorite. So the, the odds on this fight now have gone towards Corey Anderson. But I think that's entirely based on name value. People have not heard of Dolvajan Yakshimuradov unless you really follow the sport closely. And you've seen what he's been able to do in ACA. And this is a guy that is able to put it on people. We've seen Corey Anderson get finished before by the likes of Jan Blahovic, the current champion. But, you know, I, I think that Yakshimuradov is a guy that because we don't know that much about him, you have to consider him the dark horse. Because unless you know what his skill set is, you know what he's good at, you've been able to watch tape of this guy and you break it down and not, you know, let's be honest. Fans of the sport don't go doing deep dives on fighters like a lot of people in the media have to do or people that uh, provide breakdowns of these fights or, or try to handicap these fights. You know, those are the people that really dive deep. If you're somebody who's just tuning in tonight and wants to watch a great tournament and wants to see Corey Anderson and see what he can do in, in Bellator, this is going to be an interesting test for him. But all the pressure's on Corey Anderson here because if Yag right. Shemurdov wins this fight, 
people are going to be like, who's this guy, this random guy who just beat Corey Anders? I've never heard of this guy before. So that puts a lot of extra pressure on Corey Anderson going into this one because he was a guy that was very close to getting a, a UFC championship fight against John Jones when Jones was the champion. He fell short against Jan Blachowicz, asked for his release, got his release. Now he can easily come out of this tournament as the champion. That's how good Corey Anderson is. But if he ends up losing to Yagshimurov, what now? Where does he go from here? Is he going to have yeah, to sit it, on the shelf and wait for this tournament to end? Is he going to just you know, take fights to keep him busy? So much pressure tonight on Corey Anderson, and that can be a real hindrance to him. No doubt about it. And then on top of that, I, I, he's not going to get the credit he deserves if he wins. If he, if he gets a, even a stoppage, I mean, if he looks like amazing, they'll say that. But if he gets like a nice win over a very talented opponent, they're just going to be like, oh, well, you'd be the guy that no one ever heard of. He can't really win. But, but the consolation at that point would be, A, you advance in the tournament, and B, you know, careful what you wish for, because Ryan Bader's coming down the the hill uh, a million miles an hour, ready to face him as well. So, should be a lot of fun there. Uh, anything else from the card that stand out to you? I have to say, the prelims actually have Pedro Carvalho, who lost to Pitbull in the last round, or the I should, yeah, two rounds ago in the tournament, taking on JJ Wilson, this Kiwi kid. They call him the Maori boy out of New Zealand, who's actually pretty good. Uh, he's undefeated, seven and zero. I'm looking towards that. Anything else in this card got your attention? Well, I want to give some credit to Bellator here because, let's be honest, when you look down the line of a Bellator card from top to bottom, a lot of the prelim fights, you've never heard of these people. You know, unless you are really, really, you know, following the sport closely. I think if I look at every single one of these fights, there is somebody that I've heard of. Saul Rogers, uh, of course, from Tough. Mads Burnell, an excellent young prospect that uh, got signed to, uh, to Bellator. Lance Gibson Jr., a nice Canadian boy, the uh, stepson of <laughs> Julia Budd, who, who fights later on in the card. So I'm eager to see Lance Gibson oh, Jr. Right. Yeah. Julia Budd's Canadian. I always forget cardism. that. Yeah. So Canadian royalty, uh, mixed martial arts royalty. Lance Gibson Sr. will be in the corner of both of them. Uh, Pedro Carvalho, we saw him compete in the, uh, the featherweight tournament. And J.J. Wilson, a real up-and-comer as well. you got Victor Nemkov, a former uh, UFC veteran, the brother of Vadim Nemkov, earlier in the card uh, against Albrechtson. Another, I believe he, Albrechtson, he fought in Dream. Uh, his name's very familiar to me. Yeah, um, and, same. of course, Raymond Daniels. Uh, Raymond Daniels was... Uh, is is on this card? I don't know. Is was wasn't Colby Northcutt supposed to be on this card? As oh no, Colby Northcutt is in one championship, and Raymond Daniels is married to uh, the Colby Northcutt. That's right. That's it. And they, so, they yeah, and they train with T.J. Dillashaw and Juan Archuleta and all those folks. Yeah, and I mean, when you've got Raymond Daniels on, I don't know, I don't know much about his opponent, but he's must must see TV. Um, Demarcus Jackson, a nice up and coming uh, prospect as well. Steve Mowry, who you mentioned. So this card has a lot of talent on it from top to bottom, and you don't often see that with Bellator cards, where you've heard of so many people in these fights, and you need to tune in to the uh, the prelims. But that Saul Rogers fight versus Mads Burnell, what a great way to open up this card. I mean, these are two incredible fighters so yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really eager to see a lot of the prelims which usually going into a bellator card I, I hate to say I, I don't often say i need to watch the prelims but tonight i feel like you need to watch this uh, from top to bottom yeah i, I wonder if because for folks who may not realize to aaron's point i've said this before like I, I was at when like let's say for example it was in uh st louis when kimbo fought ken shamrock if memory serves i believe yeah that's right because he fought dada in houston so they fought in st louis and for the prelim card Basically, what happened was all the fighters wear Bellator gloves and Bellator gear, and they're announced by the Bellator announcers fighting in the Bellator cage. Um, and, you know, the win is logged as fighting at Bellator, whatever the number was at that time. But they had done a deal with, like, Shamrock FC, which is a local promotion in um, in that area. And so Shamrock FC basically filled 
the entire undercard, and it was really only Bellator fighters, like like you know, exclusive, I should say, Bellator fighters on the main. There might have been one or two Bellator guys in the in the prelims, but not really. This seems like a pivot to a new strategy. I'm guessing. Even though I work at Showtime, no one tells me shit. I'm guessing because they're on Showtime, but I can't say for sure. I don't actually know that, you know? Yeah, and it's not too far removed from Bellator getting local fighters on the card for just the prelims and not sending them to a contract, and they got a share of the tickets they were able to sell. Like, it's, we're not too far removed from those days in Bellator. So right. it is nice to see a lot of really high-level fighters on the uh, on the prelims and, uh, you know, a lot of fighters that people will have heard of. If Even if you're, you know, not the most... Uh, into mixed martial arts, you don't follow it so closely, there's going to be at least one person you look at that prelim card that you've heard of. Uh, also, it should be noted, um, I don't know what to make of this fight because Paul Daly was supposed to fight during the pandemic, Semtex, the British guy, and he missed the weight and uh, it was a whole mess and they had to cancel it last minute. And then he put out a statement at the time, and this was in October, and he said, listen, my next fight's going to be 175-pound catch weight and that's going to be my last well, here we are. He's fighting Sabaho Masi, the Dustin Poirier protege out of American Top Team, who's gotten really good. And it's a great fight. I'm actually interested in seeing it. And, Aaron, it is at 175 pounds. But Daly was asked this week if this is his last one. He said, yes, it could be, but he didn't quite commit to it. Are you viewing this as the retirement bout of Paul Daly? Not really. I don't know if I buy into retirement belts in general. <laughs> Usually, it seems like seems like a lot of things can get people out of retirement, whether it's a bare knuckle or whether it's uh, just another. Uh, you know, you get a win and you're like, oh, okay, I'm still good at this. Uh, I want to keep doing this. Uh, but like you mentioned, Sabah Humasi is a really good fighter. We saw a lot of uh, what he could do when he was in the UFC against uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan, just two wars. And he's been training with Jorge Masvidal, who's of course in camp to face Usman next week, right? So he's going to be face. He's going to be doing his training reps with one of the best welterweights in the world week in and week out. And uh, this is going to be such a fun fight because Sabah Humasi just, you're going into the fire with Sabah Humasi. I don't care who you are. And those are the kind of fights that bring the best out of Paul Daly. You know, it's, speaking of Showtime, it was the, recently the, uh, the 10 year anniversary of what I think is the best single round fight in uh, MMA history mm. against Nick Diaz that they had on Strike Force 10 years ago. Uh, what an amazing fight. If you haven't watched that before you watch Bellator tonight, if you want to get uh, acclimated with Paul Daly, if, if you're not already, of course, uh, watch that fight. Or even if you don't, because it's just such a joy to watch since five minutes of your day. But uh, I, th I, can't, I can't wait for this one. I think that this is a fight where, again, both these guys are just going to get into the fire and we're going to see the best out of both of these guys in this situation. Yeah, there it is. This is the you see the highlight here. That's the famous knockout on Brennan Ward, the uh, double switch knee there. Pretty amazing. So yeah, I hope it's not. Uh, if it is, I mean, listen, I hope it's not if he wants to continue, but only if he can make weight. Because um, you know, not making weight in your mid to late thirties, not a great look. All right. You know what, though, Luke? We need more of these catchweights fights for a lot of these older fighters. Why not? Like, if you they're not so? fighting for anything, if they say to the promotion, I'm not going to be in title contention, but I want to keep fighting for you guys. I just hate cutting weight. I'm getting older. It's harder to get the pounds off. Give me an extra 5, 10 pounds. Let's do some catchweight fights. I don't know why promotions are so hesitant to, to book catchweight fights. I know Dana White says that, you know, catchweight fights don't mean anything. But if these guys aren't going to contend for a title anymore and they're realistic about it, the fight doesn't need to mean anything. It doesn't need to mean the you know, upward trajectory. A, a good fight is a good fight. More catchweights. Less weight cutting for, for no reason. Let's, let's keep that train rolling. I like that because everyone... like, If you really think about the challenge of weight cutting, Aaron, it's actually a lot more... It's a really difficult problem, which is as long as you can sweat and excrete any kind of fluid, you basically are trying to regulate around that. And there's, that's just incredibly hard to do essentially it can be done obviously but it's very very hard to do so 
one of the solutions is don't change the weight classes, leave them as they are, but grant a little bit of flexibility between them, especially for the older fighters who, to your point, it's like every time a guy, like I saw, I'm not bagging on, on uh, the commentary team because everybody who, uh, you know, you're hired by the promotion, generally speaking, to do it. I don't know if it works that way with Showtime, but it certainly does for UFC. And I've heard like, oh, somebody lost and it's like, you know, well, their stock went up or even in a loss. And it's like, nah, sometimes that's true, but you're overstating it. I'm just generally sort of saying there often tends to be these narratives around guys that you're pointing out, which is like, what does it all mean? How far away is this old vet from a title shot? And you're like, dude, let's be realistic about it. He's never going to have another title shot. It's not what this is about, but he can still lay hands on people and it's entertaining and he can make money. Let's just call that for what it is. That's what you're arguing, right? That's your worldview. Just be honest about the old guys, and the it, the audience will be none the wiser. Yeah, and let them have a, a better lifestyle, really. Let them have a healthier lifestyle. There's no reason for a guy who's 37 or 38 years old to cut to do a drastic wake. Why? Why? And, and another thing is, you know, the UFC during the pandemic era, they had, um, I think it was uh, Brian Kelleher taking on Cody Stamen at 145 pounds. If you're giving people short-notice fights, let them fight up a weight class against somebody in their weight class. It might not mean anything in the grand scheme of things in terms of their ranking, but you're still beating somebody in your weight class at a higher weight. You're, that's still a, you're not at a size disadvantage there. You're still facing somebody that's in your division. It just happens to be up a weight class without the, the, the drastic weight cut needed. So book more short-notice fights for people up a weight class if, if they're unranked fighters anyways, and they're okay with it. If they, listen, these guys want to get paid at the end of the day. And mm. if they're inactive, they're not going to get paid. So if you're going to give them a short-notice assignment, let them fight up a weight class so they don't need to think about the drastic weight cut that they're going to need to do in order to get down to the weight class that they normally compete in. All right, fair enough. Uh, we'll move on here. Uh, we'll come. I want to talk about this Askren fight in just a second. Very quickly, if we can, let's talk, uh, at least show the audience at a bare minimum. We have Showtime announced yesterday on the boxing side they're scheduled for the next five months. So they've got May fights, June, July, August, and then one on September. The September 11th fight with Stephen Fulton Jr. versus the winner of May 15th, uh, Neri versus Figueroa. Um, listen, this is a conversation better had for when BC is here. And when he is here, we're going to dig into some of the details. Looking at this card, the standouts to me, the Rigondeau versus Casemiro fight. Uh, I will probably also, I, I thought Donaire had retired, so it's good to see him. Uh, and I'm also going to point to the Benavidez versus Uzkategi fight. Those are the ones for me that are good. I, I, I would have liked... Uh, also, Jermel Charlo's fight against Castaño, I don't mind so much. Jermel, I kind of wish, had a different opponent, if I could just be candid with you. But the rest of them, uh, especially Neri versus Figueroa, which will kick things off, is pretty great. Any of these names resonate with you, Mr. MMA from Canada? <laughs> well, uh, before I start talking about boxing and before people start sending in a note that I'm a boxing casual, they would be 100% correct in assuming that I'm a, b a boxing casual. So let's just uh, let's just be forthright with that rather than right. having to get a hate mail. Uh, like you said, BC is going to be a lot better to, uh, to talk about this. And my knowledge of boxing comes mostly from listening to this show. So uh, <laughs> but what stands out to me, <laughs> what stands out to me is, uh, you know, I, I think Tank Davis is a guy who has a lot of interesting fights ahead of him. I was surprised to see this particular matchup because I think there was a lot of different fighters in his weight class or in and around his weight class that could be a really big fight for him. But it's always nice to see Tank Davis compete. I mean, this is a guy who I think has so much upside in the sport. Uh, the Charlo brothers, uh, you know, always exciting fights. So uh, they're going to be fun to watch, of course. And uh, yeah, I mean, Rigondo is always bringing the fights to people. Uh, if I recall, he fought Lomachenko at some point. Again, this is my boxing casual. Yes, Lomachenko dummied him, but Rigondo is very, very good. He 
Yeah, but the reason they put him up against Rigandau is because he's legit, right? Like, Rigandau is always going to bring the fight to people. So, uh, yeah, very interesting fights. I know David Benavidez is on the come up. So, uh, you know, that's a title eliminator. So th- there's a lot to like. Uh, from from this boxing schedule and a lot for me to learn, which I like. That, that's that's yeah. Important. That's how, that's how I feel most of the time too. That Rigandau um, Casemiro fight might be the best one of all of them. And you're right, he did fight Lomachenko because both of them were uh, Olympic gold medalists. So I think one was like two time. Maybe one was more than that. I can't remember anymore. But they both have gold medals. I think Rigandau's maybe won like three of them. Something insane. Um, and so they faced them off, but Rigandau still got dummied. Still, this fight Casemiro was on that Charlo doubleheader pay-per-view uh he had a spectacular win on that card um so they're gonna set up that fight with Rigandau. that should be a lot of fun we'll go over that card in d de- or this this announcement in detail when bc shows up but i'm always curious to see what are the names that the mma faithful recognize on the boxing side benavidez should be a bigger one but he lost his title on the scale either yeah in 20 he hit benavidez had one of the first fights aaron in the pandemic on the boxing side of things when people were first starting to go to hotels again and everything was restricted and he couldn't go to the sauna not that it's an excuse because you know you're a pro you got to figure it out but he had another fight in the fight sphere it didn't no issue he made weight blah 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 but he lost his title on the scales the first time and he's in that division where caleb plant is there billy joe saunders is there um uh, potentially to charlos if they want to move up there's a way there but um um you know, uh, there's so many. Canelo's a big name. Like, there's tons of big names. And he was on a beeline right for him and then got totally derailed, even though he won the fight, by losing on the scale. So he won his last contest. He looked good. The Uzkategi one is the one that puts him a lot closer. I think if he wins that one, it's not insane to think that after Plant, if if Canelo gets by Billy Joe Saunders, that a Canelo versus Benavidez fight, you know, Mexican-American versus Mexican, uh, is uh, going to be on the docket, which would be pretty great. And Tank Davis, another guy who lost his belt on the scale. See, I know a little bit. I know a little bit. Yeah, that's right. And fought, I always tell folks, fought on the Mayweather-McGregor card. That's um, right. That's so, where he lost you know. the belt on the scale. Yeah. Uh, and he had the weirdest, like, Smurf-like outfit to walk out to. It was bizarre uh, to watch. All right. So we'll talk more about that when BC returns. Let's get to what is arguably the biggest fight of the weekend, if you want to even call it that. But it is going to happen, and they are going to trade. Uh, Jake Paul, the YouTuber turned... You know, uh, public idiot is going to take on Ben Askren, the former UFC, what weight class was he? Welterweight. Um, you know, previous Dan Hodge trophy winner, previous NCAA champion and Olympian. But he retired and he had a hip replaced. And here he is boxing. Let's back up a step, Aaron. Let's sort of set the table with you for just a second. What is your attitude about this YouTube boxing kind of crossover thing that's being ha- done here? I kind of like it. The reason why is because I think Triller is pretty forthright about what they're doing here. They're putting on fights that appeal to a lot of different demographics. So you've got Jake Paul and Askren, and I think that appeals to the YouTube crowd and the MMA crowd. And then you've got Rougarou versus Red Cash, and that, that's a legit boxing match that real boxing fans are going to want to tune into. And then you've got Cunningham versus Mir. Uh, again, drawing from, from both the boxing and the MMA crowd, they're doing something that's trying to appeal to a lot of different audiences using boxing as the avenue in which to do so. And I think that that's kind of creative. You know, I, I don't want to take anything away from them because I don't think that this is a, a, an organization or a boxing governing body or anything that's trying to do something that's really, really serious here. But these guys are serious players now. You see that they win the, uh, the bid for Teofimo Lopez. Like, these guys are doing really big things in the space. And I think that while there's a circus element to it, it's fun. 
And I think people can can respect that and respect that that's, that's what this is all about. It's about fun. It's about creating good competition and, and a level kind of playing field of competition. Because if you look at uh, the fight between Paul and Askren, you're taking a guy who's boxed against Nate Robinson, who's, who's apparently by all by all indications, a guy who knows how to box. Not necessarily, of course, at the professional level. A guy who knows how to box against a guy who was an Olympian. A guy who's, who has a real athletic pedigree. And I think that when you look at that particular matchup, it, it builds a lot of intrigue. And uh, I think this is hands down the fight of the weekend in terms of what the public's going to be paying attention to en masse. So I like what Triller is doing because I think it's fun. And I think that we should be open to this kind of thing because it is what it is. And they're not trying to make it something that it's not. All right, so you have a very, that's a very Canadian answer, Aaron. That's a very nice, thoughtful, for sure, but very nice, you know, a positive, <laughs> uh, not, not even going to say spin, because I think you're giving your real opinion. So I'll say positive look uh, on all these kinds of things. As you can imagine, I'm a little bit more jaundiced than, than you might be. Um, I don't mind it, Aaron, in the sense that, like, look, if they're obeying the rules, it's being regulated by a commission. There's somebody overseeing it. I don't know how good the Georgia Commission is, but I'd rather there be one than not. Um, the public wants to see it. You know, I don't know that it's hurting anything uh, at all. I know a lot of folks are like, oh, this is terrible for boxing. I, I, boxing fans will watch this, you know, on some level, to your point, because uh, Teofimo Lopez is going to be on it. Steve Cunningham's fighting Frank Mir. That's kind of weird. But you're right, Rodriguez Progre, who is a, you know, a current, relevant, high-level boxer, taking on Ivan Redcatch, who fought previously Danny Garcia in the whole nine yards. So, yes, there is some of that. But it's not, like, at the top there, if you're a Jake Paul versus Ben Askren watcher, I have serious doubts that you're, that, that is going to translate into boxing either being made less or more popular. I don't think it has anything to do with either of it. It's almost its own little lane. It really reminds me of early aughts, like 2003-ish, 4-ish, when you had K1 putting on Hoist Gracie versus Aki Bono, that was even more exaggerated. This is a little bit toned down, obviously, and professionalized and made more modern. But it just reminds me of that, which is to say uh, it did huge numbers at the time. I mean, I think that fight with Aki Bono and Hoist Gracie did like 50 million people on TV. So something insane, okay? So if people loved it. It's just a little bit short-lived. And maybe this will be short-lived. Maybe it won't. I guess my argument is I don't want to hear critics say that it's bad for boxing, but I also don't want to hear supporters say, oh, this brings a new audience. I am very skeptical of the idea that the reason you watch Jake Paul box a guy who's not a boxer, by the way, Jake Paul is also not a boxer, that you can watch that and it would get you more interested in red catch versus pro gray. I don't, I, I, it doesn't work that way for me. Yeah, I'm with you on both fronts. I, I think that... Again, going back to what I said before, this kind of is what it is. I don't think that it's something that detracts from the sport of boxing or makes light of the sport of boxing or, you know, diminishes the sport of boxing. And I also don't think it's going to bring in a new audience. I mean, I don't think that people that are going to come in and watch this are going to walk away saying, i got to watch uh, every boxing match for the rest of the year or anything along those lines. Uh, that said, I mean, if you, if you are Rougarou and, and uh, you put on a good performance, at least you're going to have a little bit more name value with people that don't know about the sport. And maybe you'll be able to get people to watch your next fight. Like, I understand why these guys are going on these cards. Of course, the money's good. And I think that it brings a, a big audience. Like, I think that there's going to be big numbers for this particular event. I, I do believe that we're going to see massive numbers, right? So it still is shining a light on the sport of boxing and keeping the sport of boxing relevant. Because I do think that there is a degree of, uh, of 
oversaturation in boxing. There's way too many belts, way too many governing bodies, and I think that turns a lot of people off. It's a very difficult sport to keep track of for that reason. You know, if I if I said to you who's currently like the WBC super middleweight champion, are you going to know that off the top of your head? Canelo. Unless you're really. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I was just throwing out a random division. I, th- I think uh, that's how about right. Super- how about super cruiserweight champion? Again, you get you get my point. When I when I come up with uh, even people that are in the know of boxing, if I say give me the cruiserweight champion of this governing body, you still have to dig deep to figure out exactly who it is. A lot of the time, if you're not like a total boxing aficionado. So while I do think that we are going to see kind of a circus atmosphere, I think that that's kind of uh, something that is good for the sport of boxing in the sense that it still keeps people watching the sport. Whether that means they're going to watch more of the sport, I don't know. But it does still keep the sport relevant. People are going to be talking about boxing this weekend. That's right. I think that, that is right. And also, um, listen, we've seen MMA promoters do it. And when boxing promoters do it, it's just a thing. It looks to me like they're overpaying for a lot of these guys. But I'll be honest, I don't care. Because <laughs> it's like Ben Askren was, I think he told Brendan Schaub, maybe other places this too, this is his biggest payday ever. Ever. Oh, for sure. Um, crazy to think about that. We think about. I mean, he was in some pretty big fights. He, was, he main evented some. Like that's a pretty big deal. This is his biggest payday ever. And then you saw the purse bid for Lopez. You had the normal boxing promoters going two and some change, three and a little bit. And then Triller comes in and like doubles and triples that. And that he bet on himself and he won. So like, I'm thrilled that they're going to get paid. I don't know how foreboding that is for their finances, but forget it. If the, if the check's clear for the fighters. That's really all I care about. So let's ask the, the chief question here. Do you have a lean in which way you think this fight might go? Well, I'll correct you. You said you were thrilled. You're actually thrilled because trill, being thrilled <laughs> is an automatopoeia, according to Bun B. So let's just get that straight. By the way, how has Bun B not sued these guys? I mean, they, they took a word that he invented and made it their company. Oh, good point. That's neither here nor there. Good point. And neither here nor there. But uh, how do I think it's going to go? I mean... It's interesting because I spoke to Gerald Mearshart this week, who's a former training partner of Ben, I guess still kind of a current training partner of Ben Askren and close with Ben Askren. And I said to him, how much did Ben Askren do in the striking sphere during his MMA career? Because his MMA career is a decade long, right? This isn't the guy who's, who's, you know, a fly-by-night mixed martial artist. And he said basically like two or three times a week, you're doing just striking. So he's in there with the likes of Mike Biggie Rhodes, with Anthony Pettis, and he's doing strictly, and of course Duke Rufus is a kickboxer, and he's doing strictly striking stuff for a decade. So, you know, while he, of course, is not going to be the best representative of striking from the mixed martial arts sphere, you've still got a guy who has worked on that part of his game for a decade. Now, of course, he took the path of least resistance in his career, he used his wrestling, but this is still a guy that has learned striking for over a decade. This isn't going to be a guy who's a total fish out of water here. And with that in mind, I have to believe that this is going to be an interesting fight for that reason. He's going to know how to grab on to Jake Paul, how to tire him out, based on the different tactics that he's learned over the years on how to exhaust an opponent. He's got strategy in his mind, in this sphere, of, of what you can do to take an opponent out of their comfort zone. Because that's what he did in his mixed martial arts career. And I feel like that's something that he can do in this boxing match against Jake Paul. Make Jake Paul uncomfortable. Do things that a guy like Nate Robinson would not know how to do in a boxing ring against him. To, to play to his strengths and also take him in, out of a spot where he's going to you know, have been before in training. Because when you're training in boxing, you're not going to necessarily have guys that are going to be pushing you to your absolute brink. When you're sparring, you're not going to be going 100 I feel like Ben Askren is going to be able to do some things to Jake Paul that he hasn't seen before. Now, whether or not Jake Paul is going to be able to overcome that, we'll see. But we're not talking about a guy who is known for his athletic medal. We're talking about a guy who's known for subscribers. 
Right. I mean, I I I can honestly more than entertain. I find a pl- an argument for either plausible. I can buy your argument one thousand percent. I could also buy an argument that it's like, you know, Ben will do well for a little while, and then we're going to be surprised or something by what Jake Paul has done, and Jake Paul will put it on him because this is, you know, I don't know, he's young and whatever. Like they're he's just surprising more talent than than we assumed who was there. I've been saying all this time, I don't know how people feel about it. I'm not sure it's the best explanation. It's the only one I can give. Folks always ask me, like, how good is Jake Paul? And I'm like, well, he's never fought a boxer in a boxing match. So we don't really know. But we know he. it's, it's probably fair to conclude that he's got some ability. I call him a stunt boxer, Aaron. Because if you pull mm-hmm. off stunts, like if you're a stunt performer, that's actually quite difficult to do. You have to plan it. You have to train around it. You have to have a bunch of skills to pull it off. Like, you know, they're not easy to do, but it doesn't mean you have the same skills as someone who is doing the things in a much more larger, broader, more professional kind of way. You're doing a certain kind of it, and you're doing it for a certain kind of way. So I I tend to think he's got some abilities. Is that enough to beat Ben? It's like I also just can't lose sight of the fact that Ben had his hip replaced and he's not been fighting. I don't know. It's it's he's Jake Paul is awful, but I don't want to totally dismiss his chances either. (laughs) Yeah, and I, you know, I, I keep name dropping people that I've spoken to this week, but it is what it is. I did speak to them. I spoke to Jorge Masvidal a couple of days ago and said to basically said to him the same thing I said to you. Wouldn't Ben Askren have had years and years of experience in sparring? And he said that he had heard from people that trained at Rufus Sport previously that Askren didn't take sparring, that you know, striking seriously at all. He wasn't in the gym doing striking training much. He he knew that wrestling was going to be his way to win and that he could beat all of these great strikers using his wrestling. So he kind of diminished striking. And that's why he feels that Ben Askren doesn't represent mixed martial arts in this fight, that, that Ben Askren represents wrestling in this fight. And, and, you know, Jorge said, it's like if I was to grapple... At, at like the you know the ADCC level against top level jujitsu guys, I don't represent MMA in jujitsu. I, I know that that's not necessarily what I'm best at is is like submission grappling. So when you take a guy that's best attribute is clearly his wrestling, Jorge doesn't believe that you're going to have a guy that's truly representing what mixed martial arts is all about or what the best of mixed martial arts could offer on the boxing level. Nevertheless, he helped Jake. Get ready for this fight. We'll see if that actually has anything to do. Any, hey, let me uh, ask any... you something. I thought about this this week. All these mixed martial artists want to fight the best boxers. We, we have heard about Tyson Fury and Gannou this week. Why don't they just make boxing matches with four-ounce gloves? Like, boxing rules, four-ounce gloves. Wouldn't that make it a, a level playing field if you're going to talk about mixed martial artists going against boxers in, in their sport? I think it makes it worse for the uh, MMA fighters, probably. You think so? <laughs> they yeah. think these guys hit so much harder? Yeah. Well, it's just, I, I mean... We, you know, Ben made this statement earlier this week where he was like, "It's so much easier to train boxing than this for MMA." And I, there, there, there is clearly something to that, right? Because if nothing else, Aaron, the injury load you see from boxing, they have it. They tear labrums, and you know they have problems in sparring, particularly you know around brain trauma. But the the standard kind of fight week where you have guys fall out from forget COVID, just whatever injuries. That doesn't, you don't see that nearly as much in boxing. So the idea that it's as taxing from an injury load standpoint as MMA is, is pretty clearly, um, you know, they don't, they don't suffer from that the way that we do. So I can buy that argument a little bit. But here's the thing I always try to tell people it's like, yes, it is not as dynamic as MMA in the sense of how many weapons you have. What you've got to understand is in that little universe they have, punching from the waist up, they've, they've got every inch of that. Uh, that that ring memorized. They know the whole thing, the tiny little windows in which they operate and the tiny little angles that they can take that are just a little bit different from yours. 
it has a huge impact on the fight. I always bring up Bud Crawford, his last win over Kell Brook. It was just a check hook. He just threw it one out of nowhere, and he did it in – I mean, it's like Tom Brady. You know how it is. You yeah, watch that NFL little window too, when, you're, when you're throwing the ball to somebody. And it's, it's like that they the thread that little wind. You know what I'm talking about? They thread that little window. That's what boxers can do. So it's easier in a sense, but it's still just as hard. Yeah, and, and you've got these guys in mixed martial arts training so many different elements all the time. It's it's really chess versus checkers. I you know I hate to say it. I'm, I'm sure the boxing people are probably going to hate that analogy, but. Uh, you're learning so many different tools. You've got your rook and your knight and your bishop and your queen and your king. Whereas with checkers, you got you know you got your you got your moves, and you can be great at that, and it still is impressive. Like the best checkers player in the world is still a, 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 certainly an impressive human being. But they they have the ability to be able to specialize in that one area and, and make it just absolute mastery. Whereas in mixed martial arts, you're, you're learning so many different tools all the time. That it's hard to have the sharpest knife in one particular tool when you're when you're doing all of them all the time. Uh, I was just going to say, my daughter is screaming. You might hear her. She is rampaging back from the, from the park. So you're, you've been <laughs> forewarned. Um, I was just going to say, what do you think the sales numbers are on this? I'm not sure what the pay-per-view costs. I think 50 bucks, something like that. To me, they're going to sell over a million on this. Oh, easily. I think, I think two million is within the realm of possibility. I really do. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a little distracted. She's screaming as she goes up and down the room. You think two million is possible? I do, yeah. I think two million is totally within the realm of possibility. And the reason why is because I think that during this pandemic era, you have so many people that aren't going out at night. They're not, they're not necessarily going out to bars or whatever. And then you, you start to see hype build for something. And you're like, yeah, I got extra money. I haven't been able to go out as often as, I, as I'd like to. I'm not going to restaurants. People have more disposable income right now. You look at the stock market, they're going up. People are buying these NFTs. People have money to spend. So if you, if you say to somebody, hey, I can, you know, you can buy this great pay-per-view, you're going to be part of kind of a community for a night, and you can talk about this with your friends and, and all of that, I think a lot of people are going to be on board. Uh, yeah, I've said about NFTs, they're not a scam, but I think people who love scams love NFTs. That's my, that's my crypto take for the day. Well, you're, I'm not gifting you any Top Shot cards, Luke. You're out. <laughs> BC is going to get my, my Russell Westbrook limited to 35,000 NFT uh, from NBA Top Shot, and you're getting nothing. I'll just say this to, to wrap up on the, the Triller <laughs> card. Um, I do think people are going to like it. I do think it's going to do very, very well. I'm like, I'll even admit, I have a, you know, peek around the corner kind of curiosity for Askren and Paul. I don't have that for Cunningham and Mir. I also kind of worry, I got to tell you, what if Mir and Askren, not just lose, but like take a fucking bath? It's like, <laughs> dude, every time an MMA fighter tries to cross over, because you'd have to add in Mayweather and McGregor at that point, they wind up getting their ass whipped. If that happens, even though it doesn't necessarily mean what the public might think it means, the public might think it means that. Hey, and the boxing community has Ray Mercer to fall back on, who beat Tim Sylvia in a mixed martial arts fight. You've always got Ray Mercer. So if, a, he if an MMA Tim guy Sylvia comes the up to fuck you, out too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if an MMA guy comes up to you and says boxers can't do MMA, you've always got Ray Mercer in your back pocket. But we do have Clay Collard, who's fighting in the PFL. Ah, uh, uh, you know what? Anthony Checkmate, Dennis. bitches. Checkmate. Clay, Clay Collard will fuck Clay you Collard's up. Clay Collard's our guy. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm you want a mixed martial artist that can be good boxers, we've got Clay Collard in our back pocket too. Let's not forget that. I was just thinking about this too. Like, what if they end up doing? And who knows if they will? But there's been rumors. You've heard them, I'm sure, uh, Aaron, of De La Hoya. We know he's making his comeback. He announced it in July. It'll be on Triller, I think, somewhere. I think in Texas. 
And they're talking about Eddie Alvarez boxing him. Now, we both know Eddie Alvarez is absolutely not washed in any capacity. He's not maybe at the best of his career, but he's still got plenty of fight left in him. Um, he's well-rounded. He can strike. And yet, at the same time, what if De La Hoya comes back, fights him in a boxing match, and then tunes him up? Which, by the way, is possible. It's like, dude, <laughs> MMA fighters, if that happens and Askren and Mira end up getting knocked out, we're going to have to have a talk with these MMA fighters about some of these checks they start accepting. Yeah, well, I, I spoke to my podcast co-host, Joe Valtellini, and I told him he should lobby for that De La Hoya fight. I, I want to see him box De La Hoya. I mean, a, a world-class Oh, dude, Valtellini, that would be... Joe, Bazooka Joe would give him a run for his money I, and probably I agree beat with him, you. honestly. Yeah, and Joe said that you know people used to say that he looked like a young De La Hoya when he was younger, that he looked like a young golden boy. So let's get, I, I'm starting the petition, let's get Bazooka Joe Valtellini boxing against Oscar De La Hoya on, on Triller. But, uh, you know, Eddie Alvarez, as long as they don't have a soccer referee in there with their red cards, I think he's okay. <laughs> I, I, by the way, Rashad said on, I think it was Wednesday's show, I was like, if they came to you, Rashad, retired Rashad, you know, 40, 41 years old, if they came to you to fight Jake Paul, would you would you fight him? He's like, I would fuck Jake Paul up. So I want to put oh, that on the they record. All say. Yeah, that's what they all say. They all want that payday. It's a great payday. It's, it it hey, must more be power huge. To yeah, it must be huge. All right. Lastly, we'll just I'll just mention this because I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Demetrius Andre comes back this this weekend, taking on Liam Williams for the WBO middleweight title. He should beat the fuck out of Liam Williams. Uh, he has a very long reach and everything else behind it. Um, he's a very hard fight to win. And then Tony Harrison, who hasn't fought since 2019, is back against Bryant Perella. So there you go. All right. How many um, ways can we pronounce Andrade, Andre? We got Jessica Andrade next week. There's a lot I know. of in the boxing the and, his, and his nickname is, I think it's Boo Boo. Uh, so they call him, every time I see his name, I'm always like Demetrius Andrade. Oh, no way. He's not Brazilian. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Yeah, but usually it's Andrade also. Andrade. That's right. That's right. Andre. All right. So let's do this. We played this game with Rashad on Wednesday. We're going to play it with you now. It's called Getting to Know You. We're going to play it with Getting to Know Aaron, obviously, is the version that we're going to... It's a weird game, Aaron, because you can only really play it once. I mean, I guess you can play it multiple times, but you can really only play it once. Now, I asked Rashad 10 questions. Many of those questions are the same for you in the interest of consistency, but I've, I've tailored them a little bit to make sure they fit you more appropriately. Are you oh, ready? As long as we're not doing the depraved and demented Wheel of Doom or, <laughs> or whatever uh, BC calls it. I'm not, I'm not signing up for that. And you're, you're a brave man for doing that every week because that guy throws some of the weirdest stuff I've ever heard at, at you. And yeah. you, uh, I mean, you have to kind of tap dance around it uh, for the sake of your career. You still want to put food on the table for your family. Right. And he asks you questions where he's backing you into a corner and making you say weird stuff. So, I can't, so I can't believe cancel culture hasn't come for us yet. It must be because we're not popular enough. But if we ever get there, they're going to come. They're going to come for us. Um, What's he called? No, no this death? is not like that. This is that's that's his okay. brainchild. We have to let his <laughs> projects live. This is my brainchild. It's a little more toned down. All right. Here we go. Calories don't matter. You can indulge in whatever you want. Lay out for me the best meal you could think of. Okay, so for the appetizer, we're gonna have a little sushi to start off, like just you know some California rolls or something along those lines. Okay. Um, and then we're gonna have because I can't eat everything, right? Like if if I said you know I can if calories don't matter or whatever. So I'm gonna do half of a Montreal smoked meat sandwich from uh, from Schwartz's Deli with a pickle and some mustard on it. The other half is gonna be like a nice steak, like a, a nice a nice New York steak, uh, medium medium rare. Um, is going to be alongside that. And the reason why I picked the New York is not that big, so I'll be able to eat both of those things. Um, 
We're also gonna have a lobster tail on that on that plate with some butter. Ooh, surf and for, turf for good measure. Yeah, for good for good measure. And then uh, for dessert, probably like a nice piece of uh, cheesecake, like a nice or mm. or you know what. I love cheesecake, but there's nothing better than like a world famous piece of like key lime pie. Like if you can get like a like I don't know if you've been to the uh, in Brooklyn. There's the um, juniors that that big food court. Yeah, and they have juniors there. Um, yeah, like a, a great piece of key lime pie for dessert would be would be solid too. Um, and then maybe for like for like a beverage, we're gonna have like a nice like Yamazaki twelve uh, <sighs> to, to 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 wash things down at the end. This is so much better to ask you these things because BC would be like Doritos, Ranch, <laughs> Orange Crush. Yeah, 3D Doritos. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. Are your sushi, you are, you, are you a heavy wasabi guy or no? Yeah. Yeah, I take the soy sauce and I mix a big clump of wasabi into it and stir it around. You, you know that's a heathen move, right? Why is that? So I had a guy who was, who, a buddy of mine worked at a very, very high end Japanese place in uh, New York City and okay. so so high-end that I could not afford to eat there and actually never have um, also it's hard to get into but uh, he was telling me you don't do that so first of all I didn't know this you eat sushi with your hands not with any kind of utensil you can use chopsticks if you want to but you're not supposed to you definitely can't use a fucking fork but okay I'd prefer to the, use my hands anyways but yeah that's fine yeah the way that it works is this is how it was explained to me so if someone's a culinary expert by all means correct me but this is how I was told that you actually have uh, the ginger first to uh, actually after you eat it to cleanse the palate. So in between, and then you would have the the piece of sushi. What you can do is you can take it by hand and then dip a corner into it of the soy sauce, and then you're allowed to then dip it a little bit onto the wasabi and then eat it. But you cannot mix the things together. They say that's a heathen move. Okay, well, then consider me a sushi heathen. I'm not, uh, you know. <laughs> All right, I, here we go. I was go. at a Japanese restaurant and they were saying, do this. That's like hot sake. If you get hot sake, they look at you sideways if, they are, if they're in the know on sake. You I've never hot had sake. hot sake. That's, that's a North American uh, move. Okay, did not know that. Actually, that's interesting. I've never had hot sake. I've had cold sake a lot, no. but never Cold sake hot. is All the right. way to do it. Like, I've gone on uh, sake distillery tours. And they say that hot sake is like a gimmick, basically. Okay, Inter- Okay, good to know, actually. I didn't know that. All right, here we go. Number two. Not the top three, your top three leading men of rock bands. Whew. Okay, well, you're putting me on the spot here. This is a tough one. Um, Ray Davies would be on the list of the Kinks. Whew, um, that's a deep cut. Of, okay. Yeah, one of, the, one of the great storytellers in, in rock music. Um, we're talking rock band frontmen, right? Like, okay, so uh, let's think here. Arthur Lee of the band Love, that's another deep cut. 1960s, guy could just do it all. Like, tremendous, tremendous voice. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that I'm forgetting here that, like, this is just off the top of my head. No Mick Jagger, no nothing like no, that? No, I, I love Mick Jagger, and I, you know, I love... Um, Bono? You know, I love Alex Chilton of Big Star. I love, um, you, you know, uh, Paul Westerberg of The Replacements. He might be on that list. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a tough one, man. Like this is a yeah. Let's say Paul Westerberg. Paul Westerberg of the Replacements. He's he's a phenomenal front man. So what, much what, energy, so much charisma. Where are you? Um, rest in peace to the guy. I forget his name, but I saw him years ago. I got free tickets, so I went to a. This is I must have been. This must have been 1998 or nine. I got free tickets to go see Blues Traveler and the Tragically Hip. Oh, John the Popper. Guy, yeah. Well, oh, or, John or, Popper, or but the guy Downey. from Tragically Hip was pretty good too, Gord actually. Downey. Yeah. Is John Popper still alive? 
Yeah. Oh, you know what? But he, he was a Twitter okay. troll. He actually turned out to be an, like he was. He got. All, he was super fat. Then he lost all that weight. And everyone was like, "Yeah, John Popper." And then he got on Twitter, and it turns out he's a fucking raging asshole. So now everyone hate, <laughs> is like mad at him again. Uh, well, why we got Why he got to make us run all around, Luke? Why the, you, you know what? What a prick. Around. Huh, that guy. Yeah. All right. Well, Gord Downey is a, is a gentleman and a, a great, uh, great singer, great frontman, uh, and a real Canadian legend. So you're not going to hear me slagging Gord Downey anywhere. I, I think he's a great. He's also a really interesting. Like the way that he wrote lyrics was very interesting. Very, again, the, kind of along the uh, the Ray Davies kind of storytelling uh, typewriting, which I really appreciate. And and he, and he integrated so much Canadiana into it. So he's a legend, Gord Downey. But I'm not the biggest hip guy, but uh, I, you certainly won't hear me slide Gord I, Downey. I, I, neither am I. I. I didn't go listen to their albums afterward. But like sometimes when you go and see an act you've never heard of or you weren't expecting, every once in a while you'd be like, wow, that was way better than I thought it would be. That The Tragically Hip that night were way, way better than I thought they were going to be. So um, there you go. All right. Number three. This is the same question I asked Rashad. What is the, uh, actually, I'm going to change it up for you. What is the best action movie franchise? So it has to be one that they made multiple iterations of. Die Hard? That's, you could go with Die Hard if you want to, but we have to make the case for it. Well, I mean, it's it's just it's a great like all of them are really good. Like I, I mean, you're, I don't think there's a single bad Die Hard movie. So I'll go with the consistency. Really, I mean, I think that that's probably the easiest way of putting it. You got you got a little bit of comedy interspersed. You got good characters. Uh, it, you know, you're on the edge of your seat. Some people call Die Hard a Christmas movie, so you can say that it's kind of a, a multi-genre uh, spectacle. So yeah, Die Hard. I fucking hate that people call it a Christmas movie. I mean, I don't. Same with me. I'm with you. It's not a Christmas. It's like it just dude, happens if, to take place during Christmas. Yeah, it's like motherfucker. If you want to watch it on Christmas, just put it on on Christmas. Like it's fine. People are like you can only watch Christmas movies on. You can watch whatever the fuck you want on Christmas, and you can you know enjoy it how you want. But it ain't a Christmas movie. And and what's that rom com? There's that rom com that everybody calls a Christmas movie. Also, that's not a, a Christmas movie with Hugh Grant. Uh, why, why I'm blanking on it, but uh, yeah, like, it's not a Christmas movie. Like it just Love Actually or Internet. some shit? Love Actually. Love yeah. Actually is not a Christmas movie. All right, here we go. Number four. What is the best and the worst part about being Canadian? Now, notice what I said. I didn't necessarily say living in Canada. I said, what's the best and worst part about being Canadian? Well, I'm going to give some recency bias on the worst part. We can't get a vaccine right now. Like, come on. Let's, let's, let's get it, toge- let's that get it together here. Yeah, let's get it together here. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna use my recency bias for that answer. Uh, in terms of the best part, that's I mean we got we got great healthcare, we got gun control. Uh, those are things that I I, I find uh, I hold valuable. So uh, I know a, a lot of people that are watching this right now are gonna be like, ah, that kid is stuck up Canadian doesn't believe in. I know. Believe me, give healthcare a chance. Try it out. Yeah. Try, try going to <laughs> try going to your doctor's office, and getting prescription medication, and you walk in and they hand it to you, and you walk to your car and you drive away. Yeah. That's kind of cool, right? I know. It must be nice. It must be nice. Uh, all right. Here we go. Number five. In high school, which of the three most accurately describes you? I think I know what the answer is, but we're in the interest of uh, fairness, we will ask you just the same. Jock, uh, mathlete, not athlete, but mathlete, or weird loner? Oh, it's really none of them. I mean, Jock probably, because I actually played sports. I was not a loner. I had lots of friends, and we, we goofed around a lot. And I was terrible at math. I failed math two years in a row so, and, and went to summer school. So uh, by default, so it happened to end up being Jock. Let's, let's back up a step. Uh, what were the sports you played in high school? 
I played basketball, but I wasn't like I played recreational basketball, recreational Wait a second. street hockey. Wait a second. Like, but how many people did you go to private school? No, I went to public school. I wasn't on the team or anything. I just played it. Oh, I, I see. No. So okay, when I say when when I okay here when you say I played it, it means you were on the team. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I like I just played sports recreationally, but I wasn't a loner. I had lots of friends. Okay, and I certainly wasn't, wasn't a math because I was terrible at math. So, so then, what would be like, the what would be the best way to describe you in high school? Give me a word. I was like a class clown. I was a goofball. Ah, okay, all right, class clown. Yeah. That, all right, here we go. Number would six. probably be the, the best way to go about it. But of those three, I guess I was like, nobody would ever call me a jock. I would never be labeled that in like a million years. But I certainly wasn't a math lead. I hated math and failed it twice. Uh, I had to go to summer school, which, which was terrible. And uh, I wasn't a loner. So I don't know. Of, of the three things, I guess I played sports more than the other things or was better at, at the end than the other things. All right, fair enough. Number six, tell me about the first car you ever owned. It was a standard Volkswagen Fox. And uh, I had learned how to drive standard on it, and uh, I, I didn't stick with it. I said, you know, like, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to drive. My dad, my dad was in the automotive industry, so he was able to get cars super on the cheap. So hmm. he, he brought home a Volkswagen Fox. I learned how to drive standard. He, he insisted that I learned how to drive standard. I drove standard, and I said, well, now that I know how to drive standard, I'd prefer to drive automatic because it seems a lot easier. And then uh, I, I upgraded the, uh, the Volkswagen Fox to a Ford Taurus. So Ooh, those are my, uh, my ballin'. first two vehicles. Yeah, I had the Ford Taurus. So All my, right. But my dad was like, my dad was, uh, because he was in automotive, he was like, he would get cars really cheap, he would fix them up, he would let me drive them for a bit, and then he would sell them and then get another car, and I would basically be the driver of his reclamation projects. Okay. Well, you know what? It's a good spot to be in. Yeah, it's not the worst spot for a teenager yeah, to, be in, to be uh, in. in high school. Yeah. All right. I just couldn't get attached. And then I also had cars. I had a car break down on me once in the center lane of the highway. It stopped working. And I had to like run over to the side of the highway and sit there for like 30 minutes and try not to get hit by a car. So it had, it up, it had its ups and downs. Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, speaking of bad uh, experiences, number seven, tell me about your worst airline experience. And it could be for any reason, like mechanical trouble or just issues with ticketing or whatever, but whatever it is. I don't really have one. I mean, I, I guess my worst one was kind of on a professional level. We were flying down to uh, cover Mayweather and McGregor, and our flight was delayed by like seven hours or something like that. And uh, while, while it was delayed and we finally got up in the air, that was when the John Jones no, uh, news broke. That he was getting, I think it was that he was getting stripped of the title, if I recall. Oh, that right. That he had tested positive. So I had the flight run on time. I would have been able to get to UFC headquarters, talk to Dana, cover it. But... So I, I was stuck on a plane. Mike Bond was on the same flight and made out with a girl on the flight that he had just met. So kudos to Mike Bond. Mike Bond, uh, he looks and sounds like Kermit the Frog, but he tends to find women a lot easier than you might imagine. All right, Mike I'm Bond teasing. Look by like, the way. What do you like mean he looks like Kermit the Frog? Mike Bond's a handsome man. You take that back, sir. Uh, okay, number eight. What is your favorite fighter walkout of all time? And uh, you have to set the, the scene here a little bit for us. I have a lot of them, so it's hard to narrow it down to just one. But uh, I would have to say, and rest in peace to the, the, the late DMX, uh, Anderson Silva's. Because when he was walking to the cage back when he was the guy in the UFC, it felt like a, like a, like a holiday almost. Like it, was, it was a real moment when he was walking to the cage because you knew that you were going to see something interesting and different. And uh, you'd hear that music hit and you'd see him walk to the cage and... Uh, it just kind of felt like a celebration, and that that always will resonate with me. And whenever I hear that song, I think of of, uh, of Anderson Silva. And Anderson Silva at the time was my favorite fighter to watch. He just he, he just did so many cool things in there, 
that when he was coming out, you just didn't know what you were going to get that night. And I thought that, that the music kind of played into that. Hmm. All right, number nine. Give me your most unpopular opinion about something related to MMA. Uh, I think there should be a half-point scoring system. Oh, that people, is unpopular. All right, make the People hate the, the half-point scoring system because uh, the commissions have to do math, and they're terrible at doing math. And I know I said I failed math twice, but get a, get a goddamn calculator and put decimal points in there because the 10-9 must system, the 10-point must system does not work for MMA. It doesn't make sense. You're taking, you're, you're fitting uh, square pegs into round holes here because not all rounds are created equal and not all 10-9 rounds are created equal, and we need to have these kind of score because i i scored and this is a thing that people ripped me for for weeks i scored jan Boahovic versus uh, israel for israel because i thought israel won the first three nines uh, so sorry the first three rounds and i thought that jan won the the f- four and five but you know and, and i also scored volkanovsky versus holloway for volkanovsky and most people thought holloway won that fight but not all rounds are created equal and there were rounds where Jan had dominant dominant rounds but they weren't 10-8 rounds they were 10-8 and a half rounds and if Israel won those other rounds they'd be 10 to 9 and a half rounds they were so close those first three rounds and while I have gone back and watched it and realized the error of my ways and learned more about the scoring system I do believe that if you're able to take rounds and have 10 10 to 9 and a half 10 to 9 10 to 8 and a half you're going to give a more accurate picture of how the rounds actually went. Because you can see a 10-9 round where a guy is absolutely demolishing somebody, but not to the extent that it would be a 10-8 round. And then you can have a 10-9 round where a guy lands three kicks versus two in a round, like the Derek Lewis versus Francis rounds. Like, how do you score those rounds? There's, those are 10 to 9.5 rounds. Nothing really is going on. There's no damage happening. It's just you, you got one guy landing four punches, one guy landing two. It, it doesn't have an accurate representation of how, the, how it's going. So let, let's, let's say this. Let's say that Derek Lewis, if you gave Derek Lewis the first two rounds of that Francis fight, and they were very close rounds, and then in the third round, Francis knocks Derek Lewis down once and, and staggers him and tries to finish him, but it doesn't. And it's just a, it's a flurry that lasts about 20 seconds. That's still a 10-9 round. But Derek Lewis wins the fight because he barely won two rounds. It's, it's not the way that MMA should be scored. I, I generally agree with you, although um, in, that, in that sense... Uh, I can't prove it because we just need a lot of data. Like in all seriousness, like, uh, people have a lot of ideas. We don't really know until someone tries it and measures it. You know, to really, to really know for sure if it's the right it's the right idea. But I tend to think, uh, I, like, I'm one of these guys who, you know, Chatri Sityatong. I don't believe anything that comes out of his mouth. But I will say that one championship and their rules about judging fights as a whole, which of course they borrowed from Pride. I tend to think you get better outcomes that way. Um, I can't prove that because there's a lot of counterfactuals that we just don't really know. But at the same time, it would actually solve the same problem you're talking about. Because if somebody eked out, and I do mean eked out two rounds, but then got dropped in the third, if you're judging it as a whole, you would say, who did the most important work in this contest? It would be the one who dropped the other guy. So I tend to think it's the same way to get to what you're talking about, but I can't prove that either. Well, there's a reason why one championship gets billions of viewers while other promotions get millions. It's, it's, <laughs> the proof is in the pudding. You know what? Who can argue with that logic? All right. Um, I w- I'm going to call this last, but not quite. But this is technically the last one on the list. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ad-lib one more after this. But for this one, tell me about the first time you met Brian Campbell. The first time I met BC, I don't know if it really stood out to me. Um, 
I mean, I probably just met him on the road and we started chatting and that's it. I, I, don't, I don't have a real great story about the first time I met BC. But I did, I did know that from meeting BC that he was a special type of guy. I, I really connect well with BC. And him and I, uh, we chat a lot about music. Uh, you know, he sends me a lot of messages. And this, this is a guy that loves to go down rabbit holes. Like when you, he, Brian Campbell's not the kind of guy that likes something. He loves things. He, he, finds, he finds things that he likes and mm. he, he wants to soak in as much information about them as possible. So him and I talk a lot about music and a lot of, a lot of different things. Um, and I get along. I, I like BC a lot. And um, but I, the first time I met him, I couldn't pinpoint when or where that was. And it was probably just a quick interaction, a quick introduction. Hello, nice to meet you, kind of thing. He didn't offer to help you score drugs. He did not. No, he did not offer to help me score drugs. <laughs> Lucky you. Not all of us have that experience with him. Is that what? Is that? Is that when you first met him? That's what he did. No, 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 no. I just like to slander him unfairly. Okay. Well, there that's you go. That's it. Uh, last but not least. <laughs> Is there a question you've always wanted to ask Dana and just didn't? Is there one thing, one piece, not even that so much, actually. What's one piece of information you wish you could get from Dana if you interview him? Well, I always try to get data from him that like, like tangible data. And he often has it in front of him. But I don't know, like there's a lot of stuff that you ask Dana and he's very focused on fight week. And, uh, and the fight's coming up that week where, like, the question would kind of come out of left field. Like, it's, it's hard to ask him the question that I would want an answer to that he would be able to pull out of, the, you know, out of thin air, right. right? So there's a lot of questions that I, I would love to ask him about. And, uh, like, even if I think I asked him about the, the class action suit that the, the um, athletes had filed, and he was just like, you have to talk to our legal team about that. And that's a fair answer. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. expect him to know all of the inner workings of what's going on with every little thing, especially when he's got a fight to look forward to, because he really does get wrapped up in whatever's coming up that weekend. Like, anything you ask him outside of that, he really needs to kind of stop and take a step back because he's so much in, um, you know, pay-per-view mode or fight mode or whatever it is that's coming up that week. So it, um, th that's kind of the, the difficult part about interviewing him is like you, you kind of need to know how to read the room when you're talking to him. I, I can tell when I'm going to be able to get something out of him and when to just kind of stop the line of questioning and move on to something else because otherwise he might shut down on me. And I, I don't want that because he, you know, he is very focused on what's going on um, as a fight promoter that particular week. So I have to be very picky about what I ask him that, that is outside of whatever that realm is. I have to tell you, when you asked him what his favorite books were, he told you he didn't like books he doesn't read. That was a fun moment. <laughs> I, I know you love that clip. But uh, yeah, him and I, I have that in common. I don't read a lot of books either. So oh, bullshit. Though. I mean, I, I, read, I, mean I read lots of books. Sure. But seriously, I don't. I read mostly nonfiction books, and I read maybe one or two books a year. Mm. I'm sure I've you're got an three kids, Luke. I don't have a lot of time. Most of the books I read are, are children's books that I read to my kids. I will say that getting reading time is harder and harder. I've only got the one kid, and reading time has obviously been a little bit impacted by it, but um, not so much that I can't get it done. Okay, just one thing left to do here, Mr. Bronstetter, which is uh, our segment, our famed segment, Tip to Tip. It's where we just give the audience something to pay attention to. Hey, here's a movie coming out. I read this book. Check out this article. Look at this piece of artwork. Here's some strategy on going to the gym, whatever you want it to be. Any piece of advice or recommendation that you would want to give the audience, you have the floor. All right, well, in the spirit of what we were talking about with BC earlier, my love of music, I've got music of different genres that I'd like to, uh, to, to recommend. And as you can see behind me here, these are not books or magazines like uh, BC thought they were. These are records. 
So I've got a, a vast record collection. So we'll start with the jazz genre. We've got Braja. This is a great Canadian uh, jazz musician from Montreal. I would highly recommend Braja. If you're a big fan of jazz, this isn't the guy that a lot of people know about. This is uh, released on an Estonian record label called RR Gems. Check mm. out Braja. We'll move over to the other uh, rap genre. We've got Psychodrama by Dave. This is a, just a, a if, you, if you don't know about Dave, British rapper, young guy. Uh, and this, this is, a, you know, there's a lot of storytelling involved. And I, I love uh, a record that has a lot of good storytelling, you know, similar to uh, Mike Skinner of the Streets, uh, another uh, one of his British brethren. Psychodrama by Dave would be my recommendation there. Didn't, you know, uh, didn't, to- didn't Prince Paul make a, uh, uh, an album like that? Prince Paul, uh, yeah, uh, I have, let me see if I have it here, actually. Which Prince Paul album are we talking about here? The concept album he made in, like, 99 or 98. I forget what the name of it was. Here. A Prince Among Thieves. Prince Paul. Oh, look at that. Dude, your collection is legit. Look at that. Yeah. That is Prince Among great. Thieves, Prince Paul. Yeah. See, that was, that was not rehearsed. That, that just, I just happened to have that, uh, that with me. So when, when the seasons start changing... And you can drive around with windows open, and you want something upbeat to listen to. I'm always going for Queens of the Stone Age. This is Songs for the Deaf. Fine folks from Vinyl Me, please put out a reissue or a reissue this album. Awesome record. Uh, I, I listened to Rated R the other day with the windows with the windows cracked. It's just a it's a good record uh, and a good band to get your get your blood flowing uh, on a on a nice uh, a nice day. And in the spirit of of metal, because you are a, a big metal guy. We Hunt Buffaloes, head smashed in. Nice metal band from Vancouver. Another Ooh, Canadian shout-out. Uh, hold, hold on, hold on, hold uh, on. Corey, go full screen. I want to see the cover of this. Let me see. Look, wow, look at that artwork. That, that artwork is legit. I actually have a tattoo of this on my back, Luke. Uh, if you did, you I, if you did you we would day. be friends for life. <laughs> well, I hope we already are. But uh, Yeah, we might, we might just be, getting, but that I'm would not really seal the deal. Uh, dude, <laughs> sell me on something. I I don't have a strong opinion either way. I don't have really an opinion at all either way, which I know that may sound crazy to you given that I have opinions about everything, but on this one I don't. Sell me on the benefit or the necessity or the difference, like the positive difference that listening on vinyl makes versus a nice sound system digitally. I think it's experiential. Um, and the reason why I'll say that is because, yeah, if you, if you listen to CDs or SACDs, you're going to get good quality, great quality audio. You know, a lot of people have kind of poo-pooed CDs in recent years because now you can listen to everything digitally. And I think the reason for that is because you don't get the same kind of experience listening to a CD as you do taking a big stonking record out of a sleeve, looking at it, checking out the grooves, making sure there's no dust on it, putting it on a record player, lifting the needle, putting it down and just sitting and listening to it, looking at the, 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 the album artwork in front of you, uh, any sort of booklet that comes with it. I, th- I think it's completely experiential. I'm not, I'm not the type of guy that uh, will diminish the, uh, the digital experience. I subscribe to Tidal. I love listening to, to music on the go. That's my go-to. I have smart speakers around the house. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, a vinyl-only kind of guy. But at night, if I want to have 45 minutes to myself where I can sit down, glass of whiskey, music, throw on a record that way i'm just i'm focusing on just the music and i think that that's what kind of differentiates vinyl from uh from other forms of audio listen you know some people argue that if you get good audiophile records you have a good system you you get you know the optimal audio quality and while that may be true that's not necessarily the experience that i'm looking for when i'm listening to a record while it does of course help to have a record doesn't have scratches all over it and isn't isn't all kinds of fuzzy but one, one of the best quotes and i'm trying to remember who to attribute this to but uh, it's life has surface noise is, is the quote. And I, that, that hmm. quote always resonates with me 
when it comes to listening to a record because records are imperfect and you're going to get surface noise along the way but life has surface noise and i think that that's why uh, i i encourage people to, to go out and get a record player don't get a crossley get something nice get like a nice project record player hook it up to some speakers get one one two records to start off experience it and maybe it's for you you know it's funny um you say it this way there's a, a tattoo guy who i really like and um he has said that his favorite tattoos are the ones this is the way he said it but i'll explain what he means he says his favorite tattoos are the ones you can tell were done by a human and what he meant by that was obviously almost i mean i, I suppose there might be some robot who can do it but in general all tattoos are done by humans but what he meant was not that you were looking for imperfections or that you wanted errors in the application of a tattoo but that when you could find little moments that you knew something was drawn by a human hand based on the way that it looked or, you know, you could just tell there was a human imperfect but still artistic application. To your point, it's not maybe the cleanest pure sound on the vinyl, but there's something much more human about being able to witness what some people might call imperfections. To him, they're just a reminder of the humanity that was brought to the artwork. I've always really appreciated that. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect analogy. It's, you know, when, when, and music is imperfect, you know, you're always going to hear interesting things. And uh, I think that there's a real purity to, to you know, I've, I've really gotten into jazz music a lot lately. Me and BC talk a lot about jazz music. I just feel like there's a real purity to, to listening to, to jazz music. And it really, that, that's something that actually has really helped me during uh, my preparation for interviews and, and just uh, my work is listening to jazz music and just letting the kind of creative juices flow. I think mm. that, uh, and you can get that from a lot of other genres of music, but I feel like, um, and you know, I'm also an old white guy, as you pointed out, is that's kind of the, the genre of choice, but uh, yes, I, I mean, I think that if, <laughs> if you were gone, I had to sub in another white dad, so that's what the show's about. I guess so. Uh, like okay, well, for my tip, if I may, uh, I will go with, staying with, with the music theme, I am very excited to announce today the 16th of April. You can go and listen to it right now on vinyl, by the way, if you have that out there. But if not, you can listen to it on Spotify or everywhere else. The 15th studio album from the most important death metal band ever, Violence Unimagined, is out today. The 15th studio album from Cannibal Corpse. And this one's a little bit interesting because their guitarist famously had a mental breakdown. He's got some real issues. He was basically removed from the band in 2019, and they brought in longtime producer. He's been a, a guitarist and a singer for other bands, uh, Eric Rutan. He is on the guitars for this one. If you're looking at some of the early reviews of this record, uh, they're quite good. And I've been listening to it. You know, this is kind of be a hard argument to make for people who aren't automatically into something that sounds like noise and people making you know terrible sounds with buzz saws and everything else but but if you're into this kind of a thing um to me this feels like a little bit of a return to some of their earlier sounds a little bit thrashy there was one sound that was a little bit death corey but not it was a bit, a bit of a breakdown but not really um in general i find that this bring in eric rutan had a great impact on the songwriting, had a great impact on the sound. I will say something kind of interesting, Aaron, that's a little, you might be able to get, uh, have an opinion about this. If you look at Cannibal Corpse's song titles now, they are what you think they would be, you know, like um, death comes to us and blah, 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 like these like terrible imagery. But even if you look, listen to their album title, Violence Unimagined, it has a real certain sensibility to it, obviously, but, I wonder if they're affected by the modern, uh, 
pressure to sanitize content. I'll give you an example. If you go and look at some of their old album titles or song titles like Stripped, Raped, and Strangled, or, you know, <laughs> Ripped from a Virgin Sea, like really out there titles, they don't do that anymore. They still have death imagery, but it's a little cleaner than it used to be. And I wonder if all of the controversy that they courted with Bob Dole in the 90s, they may have had enough of it and they toned it down just a little bit. Yeah, I heard those, those albums you mentioned were actually the working titles for recent Ariana Grande albums, but she found out they were taken previously, so she just was unable to use them. Right. You got to avoid right. those lawsuits. Still, yeah. still, if you're into this kind of thing, and I grant that most people won't be, but for those of you who are, um, or you missed the news, or you haven't heard it yet, Violence Unimagined, out today, 15th studio album from the greatest band ever from the death side of metal. Uh, there you go. Can't miss it. All right. Uh, Aaron, it has been wonderful having you here. You are our official Canadian, I don't want to call you correspondent, but certainly relief pitcher. You're, you're the, uh, we got to play enter Sandman whenever you walk out like they did for what's his face from the Yankees. I forget his name now. Um, Rivera, Mariano Rivera. Yeah, Mariano Rivera. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's been great having you here. Do you want to plug anything before you go? We could put up the socials at the bottom of the screen here. Yeah. I mean, check me out on social media at Aaron Bronstetter, um, you know that's where that's where you can find most of my content i'll always post links uh over there and uh you know really appreciate you having me on the show uh you can go to tsn.ca slash ufc for all of our ufc coverage and uh watch watch me on tsn sports center and wherever else you uh you get your sports content in canada and uh, like i mentioned off the top i'm going to continue to be a company guy if you want showtime original programming in canada <laughs> subscribe to crave tv today there you go and i will say for folks who may have been asking why we bring on aaron i just wanted to say aaron while you're on the air with us here you know, uh, I really am a fan of your work. I think you do. I think you're fair. I think you try to have a positive outlook, not not one that blinds you, but one that keeps you engaged. Um, you ask the right questions, and uh, I, I really think you're an invaluable asset to the MMA media community. So we love having you on the show, and I'm sure we'll have you on in some capacity soon again. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, you heard my take on Triller earlier, my, my positive, uh, you know, rose-colored rose sunglasses uh, approach on, on them and their business model. So, hey, I mean, if I, if I like that and I, I cover this sport, you know you're getting uh, all positivity from here. All right, real quick reminder, uh, if you want to email the show, we've not done Dead Wrong this week or The Wheel or whatever. We're going to bring all that back when BC comes back. But still, send us your fan submissions. Send us your Dead Wrongs. We'll get back to those. Morningcombat at gmail.com is the place for that. Obviously, you already saw the socials. If you want to try Showtime, tonight is Bellator 257. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, it's okay. If you're ready to take that plunge, there's your URL, show.com slash Bellator MMA, first six months, $4.99 a month if you are interested in all of that um let's see like the video hit subscribe you can check out our merch store.show that's sho.com you got to live in the lower 48 but other than that you can get it and uh for now anyway and i think that's it all right um go check out aaron tsn.ca slash ufc bellator tonight i'll be on cbs sports hq for that for brian campbell for aaron bronstetter for the great country of canada malka showtime and cbs sports i'm luke thomas until monday May all of your gains be loyal.